Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. My name is Talam Sutu and I'm joined by Jared Wright today. And we are going to be talking through URC week 14, some of the other um, domestic action that happened this week. And at the end, we'll also preview the second week of the Six Nations and also have a few words about um, Super Rugby coming up as well. So we we will just start we'll just start by just checking in with Jared. Unfortunately, with the load shedding um schedules in South Africa right now, it's very difficult to find a time that everyone is on. But Jared, that's I guess why we sent you to the UK. Yeah, exactly. You just needed one person that uh, had uh, the amount of um, electricity or power that Marku van Staden has, and uh, not just uh, <laughs> a regular ESCOM. <laughs> But yeah, Tala, yeah. It's, 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 it's great to talk again. Um, yeah, I think it's been difficult overall to get our schedules to align. Even uh, even with me that does have electricity, there a lot of uh, life happening at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously the life doesn't stop really for us in, 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 in ways. And then you combine that with all the other stuff going on. So yeah, unfortunately, it, yeah, I don't think we have a first phase this, or we do have a first phase this week. And talking about um, your club's greatest foreign import. Unfortunately, Jared, I can't really participate much as a Bulls fan because we haven't really had that many foreign imports bar a few Namibians coming through here and there. So I think, Jared, just from a Sharks perspective, I'm sure you can lead this conversation. Yeah, so um, the the biggest question for me was: Is it Freddie Michelak or if it, or is it uh, Juan Martin Hernandez? Um, and yeah, both of them were. It's a it's a difficult one for a Sharks fan because both were fantastic, and I've seen. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think if I had to nail it down, it would have to be. Um, it, it would have to be Freddie for me. Um, I think he was part of our team that made the. Um, one of the finals of Super Rugby, I think he won a Curry Cup while he was here with the Sharks. But yeah, just whether he was playing scrum off or fly half, he was he was just brilliant. Uh, if I remember correctly, mostly played fly half, and yeah, he he was amazing. You do love that little bit of French flair, and it links up well with the Sharks. Um, yeah, but the Sharks also had uh, Gregor Townsend and Andy Good playing fly half, which mm. uh, I was queried about, but. Uh, I don't think either was quite as good as what Freddie was. Yeah, and then just for the older vintage, I know my dad was a big fan of him in the 90s. Um, Thierry Lacroix, who played for yeah. the Sharks in the 90s. Um, I think he was pretty much pre-Michelac. And I think he had two or three years and did quite well for himself as well. And then you can add the likes of uh, the John Plum trees and some of the Kiwis that have come into the Sharks as well. I mean... I don't blame, you know, uh, the international people coming to Durban rather than Pretoria um, for, for, for spending their rugby here. No, I don't blame them either. Um, but surprisingly, the Lions have managed to get a few more international players than, than the Bulls did. I th- what, what I think we do need to remember is a lot of the Bulls' history or their biggest successes have happened when, like, the... Um, that their recruitment was top notch, and they managed to mm. steal all the good, uh, great Bloom guys away from the cheaters. And yeah, they, and they had some, yeah, exactly, and had some great players coming through the systems in Pretoria. So that Victor Matfield free to pre vintage was was preset that they didn't need any foreign exports <laughs> imports. No, not at all. 
yeah, and looking at the at the at the stormers in Cape Town, surprisingly not as many um big uh names that have come through their their ranks. I mean, Jamie Roberts, unfortunately, his time coincided with COVID. Um, yeah. you've had Hugh Jones, who I guess is more South African than Scottish, if, if we're honest with ourselves. <laughs> um spending quite a lot of time in like club rugby in, in, in Cape Town and also at the at the Stormers as well. But I think you'd have to, who draws a more recent one, but I think one that I know will either make a lot of Cape Tonians very happy or very angry is Cyril Nakelevuki, the Fijian, um, Fijian winger that came to the Stormers in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So brilliant with the ball in hand, so brilliant going forward. But yes, if you, ha- if you kick behind him, he was absolutely clueless. And then the Stormers also had Tony Brown for a few um, seasons in his later years as well. So I think that's probably the the, the best of the best in that in that category. They also had that uh, the, that Argentine pro, uh, lock um, Manuel Carriza. I, I don't know if you remember mm. him, but he he was Titanic yeah. for them. He was a great signing. Um, so yeah, but uh, obviously the Stormers don't have as many. I think uh, if if you look at the Cheetahs, they also didn't have too many. They had uh, a few. Um, um, they had a few Namibians and Zimbabweans. Torsten from Jarsvold comes to mind with the with the cheetahs. He was mm. absolutely brilliant for them. Um, I was just trying to think. There was there was a Zimbabwean fly half that played for the cheetahs back in the day. He was also absolutely Kennedy Tsumba, probably. That's it exactly. That's it exactly. He was fantastic for them. So, mm. so yeah, it, I, I I don't know where where does Ruben de Haas also fall on the scale? Um, <laughs> does he also count as a as an international, or because he was homegrown, he 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 doesn't count? Mm. As <laughs> yeah, I guess you can you can add him in there just just to give give a bit more spice to the answer but yeah i think it has i think the coastal teams as they are leading or sort of leading the race this weekend in the urc they're probably the leaders when you talk about um big foreign imports but if you look internationally obviously there's a ton of options in many of many teams around the world but just looking through some of the dirt trackers responses at least internationally um, we have Fionn, who's a big um, Connacht fan. He he says Bundy Aki, who's also mm. pretty much an Irish Irish player right now, but obviously came in as a as a New Zealander and has obviously done fantastically for um, the union um, in the last few years. Yeah, yeah, that, I think that's a straightforward one with Connacht. Um, it's much like uh, Leinster will talk about Brad Thorne and uh, Scott Fardy. I think Fardy's probably up there and. Uh, Issa Nasawaya, he was also incredible for them. Mm. Um, he 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 was just don't just, ask him yeah. about don't ask him about uh, the Springbok pack, but yeah, yeah, he's a bit clueless when it comes to that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not put it too lightly. Um, I, I see Caleb. Um, our friend Caleb also says Yaku mm. Angels for the Bulls. Um, I I'll be honest, uh, I don't remember him. Um, I think he means but, Yaku Engels, who I guess is Namibian. He was a prop yeah. for the Bulls. I, I would. I guess there isn't really that many options, but no, yeah, we're no. really scrapping the bottom of the barrel here for the for the balls. No, for sure, for sure. I've, I, I, I'm having a look at some of the replies as well, and uh, we've just uh, proud black watch. I think that's uh, the answer. He, uh, the Twitter's uh, name. He says, "Got to be Buffelli," and that's obviously for for Edinburgh. I think. Uh, mm. yeah, I don't think you can argue with that one too much. 
No, not um, at all. Yeah, I, I, I see Hugh Jones uh, mentioned quite a bit with the with the Stormers, um, and Freddie Michelak for the Sharks, like we mentioned already. So, mm. yeah, there's there's some great replies um, from overseas, um, but before I think we get, before we get there, I think we have to mention Rian Lowe, who who was unable to mm. think of one um, before I mentioned Todd <laughs> Clever with the mm. Lions. I don't know if you remember yeah. him. Tom. Oh no, he he was he was really good. I mean, like just a, a yeah, like I think one of those you would almost mistake him as a South African mm. <laughs> type of um, sort of loose forward. So it was really really good for the Lions for those seasons. I see um, Carlos Spencer was also mentioned there. Um, yeah, yeah, they got the late stages of Spencer, and he probably made more of an impact coaching and mentoring Alton Yankees than he did on the field. But yeah, I mean, just for the impact on Yankees alone, he's probably up there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, he, yeah, I see Rian was also trying to uh, claim Franco Mostert because uh, he moved from across the Yorkscape. But uh, <laughs> if, we're going, if we're going down that route, uh, I'm sure we can come up for a few more for the Bulls. <laughs> no, 100%. I think... There's definitely people that have gone over the, the, the mountains here to to and in Cape Town to get to to Loftus as well. Um, I think in terms of the foreign ones, there's um, Namani Nodolo who was mentioned in terms of the Crusaders by yeah. at Sun's tirade. I mean, yeah, you you can't really go too wrong with that. Um, I don't. I guess he probably doesn't count as one, but. In the early 2000s, the Crusaders had another Fijian wing called Marika Funimbaka, who mm. was great. But I think he did qualify for the All Blacks, so I guess he also doesn't technically count. Um, then there was that time period in the early 2000s when there was so many South Africans playing for Welsh sides. So mm. at Sam Abdullah talks about... Oh, sorry, no, not Sam Abdullah. It's um, at Tony, CEO, etc., etc., Talks about Gary Teichman playing for Newport. I think Percy also played for Newport, if I'm not mistaken, and Bob Skinstead. Yeah. I think those yeah, three were. were Skinstead also played for um for Richmond. Um mm. which is, uh, saw a random one. But uh yeah, he's he's still a bit of a legend there at uh, at Richmond for playing for them. I think then the final one, and yeah, don't think you get bigger than than this person in terms of a signing is Yoni Nakawara, who played a lot of years for Glasgow Warriors. and Yeah, yeah. I, th I think uh, his first stint with them was a lot more successful than his most recent one. But uh, yeah. he... <laughs> <laughs> No, he's about 41. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I, I see another one in reply just to that tweet about uh, um, uh, Leone's uh, Bill Mata for, for Edinburgh, which is also mm. a great one. And uh, if we if we stick to a bit of a South African uh, theme, is uh, I see there's another one for the Glasgow Warriors from Callum who says DTH uh, mentioning mm. DTH Van der Merwe, who was incredible for Glasgow throughout his career. So yeah, yeah, I, I think we got some we got some great shots over there. Um, yeah, unfortunately the Bulls don't look too far away <laughs> from uh, away from the Yuxkay River before they start. Uh, <laughs> With their recruitment so so yeah which um is sort of on the spot jared but say i've going to make the biggest impact in a foreign um club who would that be oh you know what there's there's so many um guys to choose from so yeah i think the two biggest ones that i really couldn't choose between and 
Yeah, but you can give like notable mentions to guys like Bucky Sporter, Toulon, Donny Rousseau at the same club. Um, yeah, Fred Prier's um, son, Sanatori, son Goliath uh, stint is a bit underrated. He did quite a lot of work there with Eddie Jones, but mm. I think it has to be between Skulk Brits at uh, Saracens. Um, mm. Brad Barrett, you could probably mention there as well, but between that and... Um, his name's escaping me now. Ex Springbok, uh, Joe van Niekak at Toulon. So I, I, mm. I think it would be between those two. Um, when Joe arrived at uh, Toulon, there was still like a low-level team in, um, in, in, in France. He yeah. captained them numerous times to get them into the top division and then went and won, I think he won two Champions Cups and a top 14 title with the team. So mm. don't think you can better that too much. Um, but yeah, it's between him and, and Scott Brits. Brits also won a hell of a lot at uh, at Saracens, Champions Cups, Premierships. And um, yeah, I don't think somebody like Jamie George would be quite the play is this, uh, than he is now if it weren't for Scott Brits. Yeah I, yeah, I think you've probably nailed most of the ones in contention. Oh, another very sneaky one um, in terms of almost like cult hero status is um, I think <laughs> we can almost call him a friend of the pod because he's probably mentioned every second week is Isaiah Kassim, um, yeah. who's just made a big impact both in France and in Wales and basically become a cult hero in, in, in both countries for, for the clubs there. And then another one who's a bit sneaky but had a sort of an impact in the season or two that he was there was Jacques Duplessis in the Waratahs. Um, you know, the season that you're there, mm. you win the, the Super Rugby. That's that's not too bad of a return. And he was obviously very key for that. So um, I think he'd also have a yeah. sort of a, in terms of time and impact, he's probably right up there. No, I, I think so too. And I think he probably played his best rugby of his career in that season. Um, yeah, he was mm. obviously riddled with injuries throughout his career. But uh, yeah. And uh, another one, if we're going to carry on throwing names out there, I think uh, is CJ Stunder. Um, at Munster, he mm-hmm. was yeah, he was he was loved by the uh, Munster fans. He wasn't always the favourite among the Ireland fan and the Leinster PR. Um, <laughs> yeah, that runs Irish rugby. But uh, overall, uh, CJ was incredible at Munster, and yeah, very much loved there. Yeah, uh, there were so many. There's so many guys that we could probably run off mm-hmm. and uh, say uh, somebody like. Um, Pia Skuman is already becoming a massive part of Edinburgh. And yeah, yeah. when somebody carries a ball and they shout uh, the entire crowd, shout something in unison, it's pretty, mm. uh, it, mean, it means they got somewhere. Either that or you have uh, a player like uh, uh, Naholo who gets a song sung about him. So <laughs> unfortunately, mm-hmm. not everyone gets their own song, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think you, obviously, because of how many South Africans are all around these clubs, you'll definitely find at least one or two that become almost like ledger status for their club. So, yeah, I think they've done obviously quite well for themselves. Um, Yeah, let's move on to talking about the weekend's rugby. And it was another set of um, South African derbies in this weekend's URC matches. Most of the teams played their 14th match um, of the season. And... Pretty much, uh, you know, this is also the weekend, another weekend of North versus South derbies. We had the North versus South derbies in December with the coastal teams. Um, 
winning in their coastal derbies against the North. And this weekend, North South again, but this time, oh, again, this time it was in 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 Pretoria and Joburg, and again it was the coastal teams that that beat the 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 inland team. So Storm is winning twenty three points to nineteen away against the Bulls at a packed Loftus actually, and then the Sharks mm. beating the Lions twenty nine points to seven at a less packed Ellis Park. So let's start with the Bulls Stormers game, and I think the big story in this game is. Once again, another great performance from Mani Lebok, um, which has inspired some <laughs> very interesting comments from Jake White, talking about obviously the fact that Lebok obviously used to play for the Bulls a few years ago. And White basically saying at the end that, you know, Mani should thank me for releasing him because he's playing well and he wouldn't be playing for us because we had Molesta and Johan Khorsen and Chris Smith. So great. Yeah. Well done to Jake White for you know, developing money Lebok into a great fly for the Stormers. <laughs> I'm not too sure what else to say to that. But as a Bulls fan, I'm a bit pissed that he's even giving himself credit for that as well. But yeah, Lebok scored, I think, 12 points in the game. No, actually, not, it's, I think, 13 points in the game. And he was, you know, he's doing the things that he's been doing now for well over a season. And he's very much become a consistent performer for the Stormers. You know, come rain, come sunshine, no spring box, all the spring box. He's, he's keeping the standard. He is. I just want to comment on that Jake White thing because I think it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> My God. It's, it's like when Eddie Jones, uh, they spoke to Eddie Jones about Borthwick's uh, appointment recently and uh, He's like, no, I failed with like a lot of things in my last uh, year or so with uh, with the England team. But one of my jobs was to find England's next replacement. And um, I released, uh, I, I allowed Borthwick um, the opportunity to go uh, coach Leicester <laughs> Tigers. And it's led to this. So at least I ticked off another one of my job requirements. I'm like, that is just fantastic. Like, it, it, like just something to, to, to hit back like that. Uh, I, it's brilliant um but yeah it, it was another great game by by um Marnie um I love these little drop goal um I don't know if you said mm. you didn't get to catch the matches because of load shedding but I'm sure you've seen the highlights but yeah his decision just to take the drop goal like that snap off the cuff um well when I say off the cuff it was pretty well planned but he, he disguised it very well um and uh, yeah I, I I tweeted the video and um Tim uh, Tim O'Connor, he's a um, mm. sports uh, lawyer. Um, I don't know if he's just a sports lawyer or a lawyer in general, but uh, he said, no, he, he enjoyed it, um, which made me look at it even closer, but he enjoyed it because he didn't go for distance or anything. He was more worried about heart and made sure that he could get it over the um, bulls um, chasers because he was still in the mm. 22. So it's not an ideal place to take a drop goal you'd normally get out of the 22 give yourself a bit more space but he, he just executed it so well um so yeah it's, it's one of those I, th I think we've spoken about it a lot and it gets mentioned a lot on the um provincial states of mind podcast that uh the south african halfbacks aren't uh managing games too well and it's great yeah. to see someone like marnie bucking the trend and taking control of a match to see sides of victory because yeah when he took that drop goal the stormers were leading by points with 10 minutes to play um so yeah big ups to to Marnie was a great decision and pretty much won the game in the end for the stormers yeah and i think it was 
or trying to get the number of the podcast. But 16th of October, the storm is drawn to Ospreys, 16 points to 16 in like torrential rain um, in Wales, which is probably, yeah, happens every day. But again, in that game, in the last few minutes, Mani Lebok goes for the drop goal to try and win the game and he misses. And then there was obviously a mm. lot of debate about whether Lebok should have done it. And I think we, I think we were actually, it was just us two in that podcast as well. And we're both, I think, in agreement that it was the right decision to take. Decision. And yeah. yeah. It just the execution was just a little bit off. Yeah, yeah. So a big ups team to to give it another crack. And uh, I, I, yeah, I, I really wanted to talk about this Bulls game. And uh, yeah, it doesn't help when I say I'm not a Bulls fan, and I just want to talk about the Bulls game. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, you mentioned comments about Jake White, but it was just it's great to have him back. Um, yeah, just yes. back in the job. Um, I, th- I think it might be a bit too soon for him, but he obviously. He's so driven that I'm not overly surprised that he's uh, back so quickly. But yeah, just the fact that he's healthy enough that he feels that he can get back into the coaching box is brilliant. Um, I'm sure everyone knows that uh, he had that health scare where uh, he had an emergency operation after coming back from from Ireland with the team. And uh, yeah, I think he was bedridden for about two weeks uh, and now he's back. So yeah, just... It's great to have Jake back and coming up with uh, ridiculous comments like he did with uh, Marnie over there. Um, he's never, he's always one to give a little bit of bite to a press conference. And yeah, it's just awesome to have him back. And also a big shout out to the Pretoria faithful. <laughs> I think it's, Storm has actually played probably the, you know, that was more of a, I know, I know there weren't any Springboks involved, but that was almost like, the sort of performance you expect from a championship side mm. when they're playing away and it's a full stadium and it's a team that is really intending to beat you. And, you know, it's no, been exactly. almost like the, the Bulls' number one goal is to beat the Stormers and to get some revenge from last season. And the Stormers managed that game perfectly. I mean, they mm. didn't have, you know, their own way with territory and possession. They couldn't really do a lot of, you know, the 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 flashy stuff that they could do usually. There was a bit of rain around as well. But, they had such a massive defensive performance. They were mm. asked to make 190 tackles and they made 88% of them. They were solid enough in the set piece, you know, a few issues here and there, but, you know, they kept things going. A lot of their players made over like, you know, 10 plus tackles. And when they did get the ball in attack, you know, they were close to matching the balls with, you know, their, 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 their attacking stats in terms of like defenders mm. beaten and then clean breaks and all that sort of stuff. But I think the big difference is when you are asked to make a big defensive performance is, you know, having a guy like Dion Fury in your team, you know, it's has mm. become just almost like a cheat code for the Stormers. And he's, yeah, there's many players in the Stormers like revival that I think we mention every week, but I think Dion Fury is near the top of them because yes, he's just ridiculous with when it he's comes an to animal, hey? putting pressure. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the rucks. Yeah, yeah, he's he's just an animal, and uh, yeah, I I did a little bit of uh, gloating yesterday when I I posted a picture about him and said uh, I followed him during his time in Leon and Grenoble, and I thought he was going to yeah. be great when he came back to the Stormers, but uh, I, I admit I didn't think he was going to be this great. Um, he's just taken it up another level, and yeah, he's he's talking about no Springboks, but the the few Springboks that were involved for the Stormers um, stepped up and and they had great games. Mm-hmm. And he was, yeah, he was man of the match, but uh, he he saw, certainly was uh, 
he was he was well deserved man of the match, and I was quite surprised when Dobbo took him off because um, I think he was also captain for this for this game. So mm. so yeah, good to see. Um, also nice to see uh, Ruben van Heeren having a having a big game. Um, mm. Quickly settled in, in with the Stormers since moving back from from Exeter. I think uh, he, he's proven a point to the Sharks that uh, they probably shouldn't have let him go. Um, but yeah, he was another one that had a good game. And I thought uh, Joseph Dweber and um, Herschel Yankees also had pretty solid games. Uh, I think Yankees yes. is starting to... I, I think you, you'll probably have an a, a NBA analogy for it, but uh, he's he's got <laughs> that bite in him um, that mm. he, he wants to prove those the book coaches wrong um, after leaving mm. him out in November. Yeah, no, big, actually big um, performances, especially from Yankees. Um, and then just quickly on the Stormers bench, I think a lot of them, you know, really rolled their sleeves up and 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 put in the defensive shift in order to win the game. Mm. So the front row or the the some of the Stormers um, replacement uh, forwards in the game, it's so interesting just looking at their tackle stats. Dweber, 13 tackles for Mark 11 tackles, Dixon, 11 tackles, Pocomela, 9 tackles, Van Rijn, 6 tackles, Sandy, 6 tackles, and 1 turnover. So all of them sort of came into the game. They knew what the, what, what, what the deal was, and they all made big, um, mm. they made big sort of impact in, in, the def- in defense. And they, I think they barely, all of them barely had any chance to carry and to like play an attack. They just had to do their sort of core role in defense, and they did it really well. And yeah, great on Herschel Yankees. I mean, it's almost now confirmed if it wasn't confirmed before with that um, Springbok mini camp that's happening in the next few weeks that Yankees is now definitely behind um, Jamin Hendrickson, obviously the other um, overseas-based scrum offs. So he's maybe at best, maybe fourth or fifth choice. So mm. if he wants to make it to France later this year, he needs to put in big performances. And He's slowly but surely getting there. I think he's had a good run of, yeah. of games the last few weeks and has started to look, you know, back to the old player that he used to. And the nice thing is that he's making an impact defensively. So yes, maybe some of the other stuff is coming along with like his decision making, which I think was the big issue in the last few weeks was, you know, he'd sort of run or kick or pass at the wrong time. And then execution of that just, just just went down. But he's still making a big impact defensively and he I think he's he's played well. And now that the Stormers have an informed Yankees and Paul DeVette, who's obviously been playing well for the last two seasons, that's a great place to 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 be in. No, hundred percent. And uh yeah, I just wanna backtrack a little bit and uh, I'm glad we're talking about the Stormers defense because I don't think it gets quite as much hype as it should. Um the Stormers yeah actually play with less possession most of the time in most games and manage to win and yeah i don't think norman laker quite gets the praise that he should get um mm. and I, I i can't remember who it was but i think uh, he's actually being lined up um by, by scotland for for next year so Ooh. yeah for after the world cup um i think it's scotland so yeah i think uh the stormers will will do their best to to try and hold on to him because uh, I, th- I think he's doing a great job um he's the stormers have so, uh, sort of adapted um to this well all of the happening teams have sort of taken quite a bit on from what shark is doing with the with the springboks and yeah you would 
uh, you would expect that because of how good the box defense is. But uh, Norman has put a little bit of a mix, uh, a twist on their defense. And yeah, I think it helped a lot last season and they're still bearing the fruit from it this season. So just good to see overall. Um, Tala, I, I, I don't know if you 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 haven't mentioned um, the man of the moment from the Bulls game as well. Um, and as a Bulls fan, I'll let you um, go away with it. But uh, mm. 150 games from Mornay Stain um, between Super mm. Rugby and URC and Champions Cup. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, yeah, like obviously an absolute Bulls legend. Like that goes without saying. And it's just crazy thinking... I mean, Jared, I think we're a similar age. So I think when we really started watching rugby was sort of the late 2000s. And just thinking now that Monestain has been pretty much doing the same thing since then up until now. And it's mm. just a crazy thing to think about. And yeah, I mean, just remembering back that there was a big debate whether it's Derek Ochard or it's Monestain and he managed to, to win that debate. And now, obviously, he, he then it was like, should it be a Springbok? And then he went to the Springboks and he had, you know, obviously a lot of victories with the Springboks, a lot of tough times as well. And he was able to just push himself through in like the mid-2010s and obviously sort of the crowning moment at the end being that Lions series um, victory in the third test in 2021 as well. So, I mean, as a, as a bull servant in particular, he's just been an absolute servant. And I think he's helped us in a situation where, you know, with in our fly situation, as Jake mentioned, obviously Manila Bok <laughs> goes away from 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 Pretoria for Durban and then goes to Cape Town, and we at the time only had him and Chris Smith. And Stain has really, I mean, I was a bit skeptical, just like why would we keep a thirty six year old Moore um, Stain um, in our team? But he's done so well and has been able just to keep things going. If you know, maybe Smith isn't available for a week or is being rested or. Then we have Jan Horsen coming in and obviously Horsen's just, yeah, never able to really play, you know, many matches in a row. So staying being on your bench and being able to finish games for you, that's a fantastic position to have. And he's still playing at a relatively high standard. So yeah, a servant of, 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 of the Loftus, Loftus faith, faithful for close to 15 years now. And yeah, he deserves all the accolades he can get for just how good he's been. So that's been one great story. And I think the other great story from a Bulls perspective is the return of Spongosi and mm. the return mm. to actually very good form. Um, obviously, I think many are aware of like some of the circumstances and he was away and he had he talked very honestly in an interview posted on the Bulls um, website um, this week or last week about the sort of the challenges that he was facing from a mental side. And yeah, just great on him to recognize that and just to take the time off great on the balls for supporting him as well I, it's really commendable that they sort of support him without much question and yeah obviously it was looking really bad i was wondering if he was ever going to play rugby again um just looking at that circumstance and, and and seeing how it went but he worked hard he came back and yeah you would think maybe he'd start off from the bench and maybe you know, the Curry Cup is actually not too far away. So maybe he'd start there and sort of raise his game up there. But he went straight into the, the starting team and he's got to try even for his troubles. So he's he's playing in very good form. And uh, I see from the match report he gave um, Suleiman Hudsonberg a lot of grief on that side of the wing as well. So, mm. you, yeah, you can't really ask for too much more than that. I think Gorsi had a really good game. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I think he did. And uh, credit to Jake for sort of throwing him in the deep end. And yeah, it's uh, he he realized uh, that if he was going to prove himself, like he he would he would have wanted to prove himself. And Jake gave him mm. the opportunity to do to make a good fist of it. Um, like you say, he could have easily thrown him on the bench and let him have the last twenty minutes. But uh, overall, he had a really good game and. Um, you mentioned Hartenberg. There was there was a nice moment um, that they caught on I think Super Sport mm. caught it, uh, where where the two of them uh, sort of like had words and embraced after the game. And Hartenberg was like just like o- o- over the moon to sort of speak to Inkorsi and see him back. So yeah, uh, good on him for um, uh, uh, for taking for put, for putting himself first and taking that leave maybe. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it speaks a lot for people going through those kinds of um, those issues. And yeah, I, I, just great to see Sabu and Corsi back. Uh, I think that's as much as we can say to it that we, well, we haven't mentioned already. I think that's just the best part of it all. Yeah, and then sort of on the more negative side for the Bulls, it's now five matches that they've lost to the Stormers um, <laughs> in the URC. They've, yeah, they, they just haven't really been able to get the one over them. And this, if, if there was any match, they would beat the Storms. It's this match where the Bulls, for, for intents and purposes, are playing something very close to their best team um, compared to the Stormers, who have obviously a lot of the Springboks in, in the Springbok camp um, happening right now. And they still couldn't beat them at home in front of 40,000 people. Like, yeah, it's it's not looking great for the for the Bulls because the season's definitely looking like it won't go as well as the last season did. So they're currently sixth sixth now in the URC's log. Um, it at least their their last few matches are quite good. Um, they have I think four URC matches left. They play the Lions um on the fourth in in, in Loftus. Then it's a wet Ulster. And then um, the last two matches are against Zebre and and Leinster at home. We're probably going to bring over, you know, the whatever Dublin under nineteen team that they can they can <laughs> wrestle up for that. And Reese Ryder. So, <laughs> and Reese Ryder, of course. So I mean, they can still probably get at least three wins from that. They'd probably expect mm. to win against the Lions, Zebre, and the Leinster third team. The Ulster game would be very tough away from home. But it's not looking, they're probably not going to, they're looking very, it's very looking dicey for them to host a, a, mm. a home quarterfinal at the very least. And for them to get to another URC final, they probably have to go through Dublin or Cape Town. And I mean, they've obviously, they also won last year in Dublin, so they won't feel too bad about that. But he likely probably won't strike twice there. And facing the Stormers, yes, they've had close matches, but. A five-match losing streak is not something that's easily turned around. No, for sure. Um, I, I, I think uh, you, you always talk about winning being a habit, and I think that's sort of where um, the Bulls' season has sort of fallen off a bit during that uh, Champions Cup um, spot where they decided to rest some players, and they got a big victory against Lyon with the rest of the players. But I think that trip to Exeter where they got absolutely pounded um has not has not worked out well for them um so yeah they, they, they were i think we sort of forget but the bulls were on a big um winning streak at home 
um, under, and have been notoriously great under Jake um, since he's since he's taken over. And yeah, I, I feel sorry for the Bulls because uh, mm. if if they play in playoff rugby at Loftus, it's it's almost like a different beast. And the yeah. uh, Stormers have become somewhat of of a bogey team for them. So. Yeah, I, I think it, it is a bit dicey for them to make the playoffs. And uh, yeah, we, I think they're going to have to, they're probably going to have to win that game against Ulster. And uh, I think Ulster are also trying to push for, for a home playoff match and uh, did so this weekend, getting a bit closer to the Stormers. Yeah. What, what, in short, what do you think is the issue with the Bulls from last season to this season? I mean, similar players. I mean, obviously having to insert Similani into the team. Yeah, they've lost, obviously, Marcel Kutsia. But, mm. you know, it's similar issues that they had last season. I mean, not the best scrum in the world. Yeah. Um, type 5 isn't maybe the most physical, but backline is pretty similar, but they're not having the attacking returns that they did last season. Yeah, I, I think uh, having guys like Kirtley Orenser absent and Caden Moody absent mm. in, in games where they really needed them has um, impacted them negatively. Um, I think Jake also um, backed the older statesmen to start a lot more games and give the younger guys um, the opportunity off the bench and getting that spark um, off the bench. So I, th I think uh, what Jake has tried to do is start well this season and then um, build a lead that they can defend with the with the older statesman and it just hasn't worked out that way. So you don't really want to throw Mornay Stain onto the game uh, onto the pitch if you um, if you're chasing a game. You you sort of want him to to see out a game for you and it hasn't worked out that way. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the same stuff is still sitting there with uh, with. Um, issues in the scrum and yeah their their bench isn't as strong as what it can be uh particularly in the front row yeah that Volcolo signing can't come soon enough he no I think straight. hopefully make a big difference next season for the balls but yeah i think for now it's just about that lines game becomes big they need to get i think as far as possible if they can get 10 points from lines and zebra and then see what they need to get from the Ulster and the Leinster games and seeing obviously what the squads are in between that there's the Toulouse away game um, in there um, in, in the in the in the Champions Cup as well Stormers I think are looking pretty much set for second at the very least maybe even first if things fall the right way but I think they are pretty much sewn up for second place so let's move on to the Storm uh, the Sharks versus Lions game so I think similar to the the game we've just discussed, another story of a of a fly half playing really well um, for mm. the Sharks. This time it's Kern Bosch, and I feel like we say this every twelve or so months, but geez, Kern Bosch is looking in good form right now. <laughs> it <laughs> seems to be something that happens once in a while, and seriously in this game, and you can see with the try that he took as well. Like, you know, he's obviously such a big confidence player, but it seems like the confidence is there. He seemed to be running the team really well, and when that confidence is there and the decision-making is, is good and he backs himself, like he becomes a very, very tough player to stop. No, for sure. And I'm, I'm touching wood now that uh, I, I don't think so, but <laughs> it, it, it sort of looks like a different, um, he looks like a different player now with, uh, since Neil Power has taken over. And we've seen a period mm. of um, good form from Kerwin Bosch that we haven't seen for a long time. 
in the sense that he's it's an extended period of um, good form and he's making really good decisions. We've always known that he's had a good running game um, with ball in hand and he can kick the ball, but he's starting to add that game management into his his game and um, it, it's just great to see. It does also help that you have um, good senses on your side like um, Ruan Janssen van Rensburg and Francois Fenter to Two Springboks, I think we also forget, um, but two bigger brace of guys that you can sort of potter along the field with. Yeah, I think and that's probably a big sort of like key point in this match was the battle in the midfield. And Ron Janssen van Rensburg, that's a pretty good. He had a pretty good game just carrying for the Sharks. And obviously in a Sharks team that doesn't that also doesn't have its um, regular Springboks, Ronnie Janssen van Rensburg becomes a big senior figure in that backline as one of the more experienced and like classy players in a pretty young backline. But he came up against Maurice Lowe, who's basically um, Ronnie Janssen van Rensburg if you bought him from Pip. But, you know, <laughs> that's maybe being very unfair on him. But that I is being Maurice very Lowe unfair. Him, <laughs> but he gave himself a very good account of himself. I think they 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 matched up quite well. And Maurice obviously has had a great season for the Lions. I mm. do apologize to Maurice Lowe and his family for that comparison. But I think, yeah, it's it looks like Ron is starting to put things together. But Maurice has been a very key part of the Lions and the good things that the Lions do usually has him in the middle of it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think uh unfortunately for, for the Lions, um they 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 don't have as much depth as the other um, teams do. So even when they've got most of their um, starting players in the team and they come in against a weakened Sharks team, they can only do so much because fatigue does take its toll throughout the season. And I mean, somebody like Renil uh, here, who is a decent player for the Sharks at lock, but he doesn't play that often and neither do um, the fences sort of... Uh, switch around throughout throughout the season um with Sia when Sia and Noche and and everyone else is is in the team. So yeah, I think uh it, it was a bit tough for the for the for the Lions to sort of compete with the other teams until they start growing a bit of depth. And we know generally what happens is once the Lions players start so, showing some some form and some quality, then uh yeah it's sort of somebody comes and picks him off you just need to look at the tashukas with uh the sharks and mm-hmm. you know you, you sort of see it happening so yeah i i think that's sort of the story of the lion season is they're not nearly as uh have not nearly as much quality in depth and as the sharks do or the lions do or uh, or the bulls do i mean or the stormers so so yeah even someone like grant williams who's uh Fighting for a Springbok jersey is starting for the Sharks this weekend, and uh, the Lions just—they really don't have that same quality. Yeah, it's and especially there's just a few like unavailabilities and issues and injuries for the Lions, and then it just strips more and more away of that of that mm. quality and depth. I mean, we were talking big things about, um, you know, the likes of. In, in the back line, the likes of Enke van Veik in the midfield and he's not available mm. and mm. someone like Andres Kutsia can sort of help with just directing these young talents and he's not there and like you just start picking at it and just one or two of those players being unavailable makes a big difference for the Lions unfortunately and yeah, they just, 
started really yeah. well this season, but obviously I've just tapered off. Yeah, it's a sort of it's just it's a, a one one player missing out is a bigger blow to the Lions than it is to to someone like the Sharks. Like the Sharks not having mm. Sia Khaleesi available this weekend meant little to them. I mean, they started James Fencer in the sixth jersey, and they still had Tashuka Richardson and Notche on the bench. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, that um, is a that I, is an illegal so, loose trio just for your bench. <laughs> yeah. It is. And uh, Tala, I know we're going to sort of wrap up with the URC and that this weekend, but uh, I see um, there's two rumors I sort of want to pick up with you is that mm. uh, Takia Abrams is uh, being linked to mm. Leon, um, which is yes. quite an interesting move in, in my opinion. It's sort of one that uh, sort of emulates um, Ches and Colby going from the Stormers to mm-hmm. Toulouse. And uh, the other one that I've sort of seen is uh, Cash Van Royen uh, getting a new deal at the at the Lions, <laughs> and uh, he'll be earning. Yeah, we know the Stormers are quite cash strapped, but uh, I think it's a three year deal that's coming Cash's way, and he will be earning more than uh, Dobson. <laughs> Let's start with um, Abrams. Very interesting. Just thinking about him and um, David Nenashvili in the same back three. I think that is Ridiculous. just chaos. And yeah. yeah, we can we can hopefully see some of the improvements that have happened in Colby's game that will happen in Abrams' game. Mm. I think, yeah, uh, you can't really hate on that move for him. Obviously, more money and also just a big opportunity to play in, in the French top 14. And yeah, you'll be tested there and you'll, you know, there'll be games you'll get zero ball because it becomes a bit of a slugfest. But you'll there's also an opportunity for you to show your talents against the best in the world. So I think that's definitely a move that he needs to take. And yeah, it does seem like in the Sharks that just, yeah, he was just unavailable for the last, in the in the last few months, last season. But yeah, I think the Sharks are feeling confident with obviously Van Akok and Marcus um, Ulmapimbi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think maybe he would have been more of a, 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 a potential replacement for Mapimpi because mm. I, I assume Mapimpi is not going to be playing too much more after 2023. But yeah, that doesn't seem to be the case. And just another side rumor is flying around is that Apelele Fassi is being looked at by the Stormers. So, yeah, yeah if, the Stor- if the Sharks lose both Abrams and Fassi, then it becomes a bit of an issue because now you are trying to, yeah, maybe Abrams you can live without and there's maybe other people like Penga you can play in the wings. But without Fassi at fullback, you maybe have, um, what's his, um, what's the Chamberlain? Uh, Chamberlain that can deputize and forming, yeah. Then it, that's definitely not yeah. a drop in quality. Yeah, yeah. So but, yeah, but, it's it's a very interesting yeah. one with the Stormers because you, you would assume that they um then losing Clayton Blomikis or they want a backup or or they want Fasi to take over and Blomikis back up mm. for him with Willemsa moving into uh, the ten role with uh, Sasha and Cade. So, so yeah, it's a very interesting one. Um, I think that move all depends on what's happening with Marnie LeBook, who's been linked with uh, Rassi 92. And yeah, from all account, well, Finn Russell is left and they sort of need a fly half. Mm. And Marnie is um, apparently the man that Stuart Lancaster wants, which is a hell of a compliment in itself. Yeah. And it seems like there's almost like a swap deal in the in talks um, yeah. for um, Warwick Haaland coming back the other side. That would help the Stormers a lot, obviously getting Haaland back. And this helps the Stormers with their bit of a logjam <clears> that they have <throat> at fly half with 
um, you know, the youngsters and Volata and Gomezulu and then, you know, the <laughs> current second choice Springbok fly of Damien Willems <laughs> playing for him yeah. um, as well. So that helps in a way. I mean, obviously losing money would be not, would not be great, but it kind of helps the Stormers with just, you know, sort of getting game time for everyone. So it seems like it's probably an either or for the Stormers of either they get Kalant back from, from Rassing or they will then try to get Apelele Fassi. So that's obviously interesting and that's a big move for them. Um, then on Cash, I mean, yeah, I mean, as the name suggests, seems like he's got a good agent and a good negotiator. I guess the question is, in that early part of the season when the Stormers, I mean, the Lions were playing quite well, did he prove himself enough to warrant one, an extension, and number two, an extension of, you know, such high, um, of a high salary as well. Look, obviously, we're not sure. I don't know, maybe, Jack, you might have more information. I'm not sure what the market is for the other coaches and what White and um, Paolo are earning in their respective franchises. But, yeah, it does already look a bit funny if if, if Ivan Verroy is earning more than John Dobson. But, yeah, as you said, there's some money issues for the Stormers. The second thing is now just a performance thing and whether he's proven enough. I guess you can say that, you know, with the assistant coaches that they got in Jacques Ferry, um, Albert van der Berg, that obviously there was an improvement in the in 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 the lines this for the early part of the season, and they look to have, you know, putting some things together. And there's things that are beyond his control in terms of losing players and stuff. So I guess that's probably enough for the Lions to go. Okay, we can give this guy an extension. But on the other hand, you know, the season sort of is falling off in the same way that you know the other last season or two has fallen off for the Lions, either in the URC or in the domestic rugby. So, yeah, and the question then becomes, has he done enough to justify an extension? I guess so. But yeah, I think it's a very much of a 50-50 situation where I guess he's meeting expectations for the Lions at the moment. He's doing as much as a younger coach can with, with this current squad that he has. And if the Lions... But if the Lions will have them have enough money to pay more than what Dobson is getting, then you know, either why not get Dobson <laughs> or mm. maybe get someone from his coaching staff. I mean, that whole um Storm's coaching staff we just talked about the the uh, with Norman Lake and um also have uh, Rito Longwani and 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 um the attack coach whose name has just escaped me. Maybe get one of them if if you mm. think that might be a better option. But yeah, it, it is a bit of a weird one that if Van Royens may be earning sort of similar to the other URC, I mean, URC South African coaches, the other ones have a lot more on their CV than he does. I mean, yeah. Dobson is a champion yeah. now. Jake White's obviously a world champion. Neil Powell's done amazing things with the Sevens. So, yeah. Can you justify paying him as much as those ones? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think the major issue with the, the the Lions is a sort of a lack of ambition from from the top, and that uh, they could certainly improve um, with a new coach, in my opinion. And uh, they sort of just I don't know if they've really looked at the market well enough, or have identified somebody. Um, I think somebody like Stick would thrive with a um, yes. head coaching role, and him coming into mm. a challenging um, predicament with a team like the Lions would be brilliant um preparation for him to eventually be a test level coach and 
sort of prove himself as a test level coach because we haven't been able to see that from stick just yet so i think it would be a fantastic opportunity whether the spring box would allow that kind of thing i would think they would i think uh Rossi would it would love or stick to come in uh to a head coach position and i don't see why it wouldn't work um so so yeah i think they've missed one there even um somebody like matthew proudfoot is still a pretty well-renowned coach um mm. and he's working at marty's he who knows who knows kind of thing yeah i mean i think a lack of ambition is correct i mean yeah mm. obviously rudolph strawley has a chicken history with siphon rugby to say the very least and yeah it just doesn't look like it's the right structures if the lines are going to be a good sustainable team it's you can say what you want about the other three URC teams. I mean, the Sharks are trying to win. That's quite clear. Mm. The Bulls, even maybe, yeah, obviously they were almost like the, the money bags. Bulls are sort of trying to build something. <laughs> and they're trying to win as well. And obviously it's clear yeah. from the stadium this weekend that they're doing, they're connecting with their fans as well. And no, then the 100%. Stormers is quite clear what they're trying to do as well. So, the line's looking a little bit like the sort of the, the the student in your class that's just not doing well. So, yeah, I think this has been said many times and yes, the lines maybe don't have all the advantages that the other teams do, but, you know, it, someone must then take some sort of direction, you know, to say, okay, the next five to 10 years, we're going to do this and build it up and either get private money or we're going to move the to another stadium because none of us go to Ellis Park or we're going to, Try to we're gonna say we're gonna trust cash and trust this coaching staff and try as far as possible to keep, you know, Emmanuel Chituka and Henku van Veik and those sort of players to be our key players for the next few years. There needs to be some plan. And it almost seems like the Lions are pretty happy with a few odd wins and having mm. a few players develop and then uh sort of just shrug their shoulders and, and when they when they lose them late um to the other teams and that's obviously not going to be sustainable if they want to actually, you know, do something of substance in, in, in this competition. No, 100%. 100%. Then just finally, this is the last point, is just the Sharks road going forward. Um, so they have an extra game because of the match that was missed by Ulster earlier. So they play Ulster this weekend. And then they've got a quite a, well, a relatively challenging um last few games coming up after that so they've got Ulster at home they go to Cape Town to face the Stormers I think both teams will have they won't have their spring box back yet if I'm not mistaken no I don't think so well I think that's actually the return date uh for that match uh, oh okay then that'll be a massive game then if, if all, all the spring box are back for that so those are two tough games probably the the Ulster one is very winnable but then they've got Scarlets away from home they come back home, obviously, for the Champions Cup game against Munster. Then they've got to finish up Benetton and Munster. So the Sharks, you know, they obviously had a horrible start, but they've now kept themselves in touch um, with the rest of the chasing pack. And they're only five points away from um, the, the top four. So when we said the Bulls don't look like they will, they maybe are falling out of the top four. The Sharks look actually well-primed to climb into the top four places. And... You know, depending on maybe Ulster not, you know, finishing well and they're not looking good right now, Glasgow looks quite good. So they, I think they'll probably continue. Munster just, you know, they also, they have, they've played one game more. 
it does look like mm. they the Sharks have a good chance of making the top four here. Yeah, I think uh, it, it will come down to the last weekend and again. Um, but if if Munster continue um, playing the way they did last weekend, um, mm. then if they continue that way, it's going to be a very tough ask for the Sharks. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, the Glasgow, uh, the Ulster game, and the Munster game are going to be the big ones for them. Um, in between that, uh, either side of that Stormers game. Um, so yeah, I, I think for the Sharks, it would be how many games is that? There? Three, four games. I think uh, they would be looking mm -hmm. at one defeat at the most is uh, the, the most that they want to pick up. But yeah, yeah. squeaky bum time for both teams, uh, the Sharks and and the Bulls. Mm. And then just as a final point, it seems like squeaky bum time for, for 13 of the teams in the URC. Like mm. pretty much everyone uh, mathematically up until the Lions at 14th have at least a chance of making the, the knockouts, which is crazy. I think that's obviously a really good result for, for, the, for the URC and the organizers and mm. obviously champions of this tournament. But you have Connacht currently at 8th, which means all four of the Irish sides are in the top eight at the moment. But very good chance that one of either Cardiff or Benetton comes in. Edinburgh is also not too far away. And yeah, Ospreys, Garnets, the Lions also have maybe have something to say. So yeah, there's a lot of permutations. There's a lot that still needs to happen. It seems like the only certain things are Leinster and Stormers are in the top two. And the rest, it's a bit of a Game of Thrones situation there. Yeah, even Zebra could uh, finish below <laughs> could finish higher than than the last place but uh having not won the season i don't <laughs> quite see that happening but uh yeah it's it's brilliant competition um it has been from the first season and i think it's going to get incredibly interesting once we head into those um last final weeks of of the season and obviously into the quarterfinals where everyone will be looking to knock leinster over yeah and who yeah, and it'll be a big competition as to who will get that privilege of playing them in the first versus eighth game. But yeah, I think a yeah. lot to look forward to um, in the URC for the next few weeks. And yeah, I think we will end the podcast or this part of the podcast here. We'll hopefully attach on another part later, um, just discussing the other rugby around the world. But yeah, thank you so much, Jared. Um, yeah, we just wrapped up the South African aspect of the URC and some of the permutations. Looking forward to it. And yeah, we'll have probably another quick one later um, to, to attach to this, looking at the other aspects of, um, you know, the Six Nations and the Super Rugby and other competitions as well. So welcome to part two of the Rugby Biz podcast. Um, still the same host, but now I'm joined by Sean. Uh, and we'll basically focus on the last, in this part about the Six Nations week two that we can look forward to. Sean, I think there's, you can't start anywhere else but Wales right now. who are having a, a player strike and a big threat that they will not play in the, in the England game happening on Saturday. Long story short, the Welsh rugby players are looking for more stability from the Welsh rugby union and looking for a bit more of a sustainable long-term like plan as to how they're going to yeah, fund everything and what's going to happen. And yeah, there's many things. And yeah, there's great podcasts like the BBC Scrum 5 rugby podcast you can listen to to see hear all the details. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if Warren Gatland <laughs> was thinking that he was signing up to all of this when he came back to Coach Wales. Yeah, it 
it's interesting very seldom or well, no i wouldn't say very seldom but it's really hard to bring someone back especially when everyone wanted him gone in the first place and now they're like no he must come back so it's gonna be very interesting he hasn't He's been very diplomatic and kind of shied away from a few things, even made a couple of controversial statements um, to kind of alienate himself from a lot of people um, since coming back with all these controversies that have happened. And, you know, like when it rains, it pours. With with Wales, there was a problem with the coach. Um, there was a problem with them winning games. So they try to fix that. Then they had all of that. Um, that that those other issues, the misogyny and all that sort of rubbish that was was happening, and um, like that was something to focus on. And now they've got all this financial stuff to focus on, and they've changed number of people in upstairs and across the place, across the board, and all that sort of sort of jazz. Like there's a whole lot happening, and I think it's. Probably the best time. I'm sure the players and everyone wanted to get this resolved, but there was so much other stuff happening. So they've, as always, you, they probably put like the players and and the clubs and everything on the back burner while they, in inverted commas, fix the other stuff. But now it's come to a head, and you know they've got to make decisions and and do something. And I'm 100% behind the players. Like nobody. I've seen some horrendous stuff on, on social media about like, oh, you guys are paid so mm. well, fuck it up. And the bottom line is it doesn't matter what you do and how well you're paid and what's happening. Like to not know where your future is, is the shittest thing that you could ever have. Like knowing that you could potentially not have a job in the next week or tomorrow is hard. And not far away in England in the premiership with what's just happened with Worcester and with Wasps, Leicester Tigers are now pumping plenty bucks into the club so they don't go into administration. They're like attacking it and saying, listen, we need to put money in the club and we've got investors. But that shows that it's not sustainable at the moment. So there's a lot happening. There's, there's talk of of Ealing joining uh, a Welsh side or playing under a Welsh banner, I, I didn't read too much into. The, uh, I didn't read too much about it, but there's so much happening. There's talk about the 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 regions being reduced in size, or the playing regions going from four to three, possibly two, and then them putting money and more time into the tier below, which is the semi-pro section. So there's a lot going on, man, and it's heavy and. Have this in a, a crunch Six Nations game against England, which is the enemy. Perfect time to make a statement, to be fair. But also in a World Cup year with a new coach, like there's a lot of shit going on. Yeah, and I think it's it's an absolute mess for Warren Gatland. No wonder they've um, shooed away the six the the Netflix um, cameras um, for the Six Nations documentary. I'm sure they don't want. All that dirty laundry out there probably can't it's too late. as well. It's it's out. The dirty laundry is out there. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. Now they're just going to have a gap in the Six Nations com in the Six Nations um, uh, thing. <laughs> There's just going to be a space. They're probably going to be like a like Wales were supposed to be here, but we'll fill it up with some other cock. And uh, <laughs> I mean, the truth is, if they'd stayed on board, they would have been able to already make this a documentary on its own, which I'm I'm sure someone will do eventually. That's obviously if it comes good. But 
yeah, it's heavy times, man. Yeah, and then just going to the other side. So the big, well, one of the big clashes this weekend is England versus Wales playing in Cardiff. England has actually, yeah, good prospects for them. They also welcome back three, like, test animals in Courtney Laws, Tom Curry, and George Ford into their squad for this week. Sean, what do you think are the chances that either one or all three of them um, get to play on Saturday? I'm very interested to see what happens uh, at the 10-12 axis. Um, I think George Ford could potentially get um, a spot on the bench. I personally would not change the the 10-12-13, and I most certainly won't change the 10-12 right now. Um, if Ford starts, then Farrell's going to 12, and that opens up. Uh, they'll probably start Slade at 13. That's how I see that happening because that actually worked reasonably well in the past. But then Marcus Smith would probably fall away um, out, of, out of the match day 23. In terms of Curry it's a, and Laws, it's an interesting one because I, I mentioned to you on, on Twitter when you, were asked, you replied to a question about how the, the, the Lustrio makeup would be. I would not change the um, the flanks at the moment. I I would I would keep Willis and Ludlam and that's yeah. I I just think the question is about what do you do at eight? Like, does Dombrun get another go? But I wouldn't change the loose trio. So it burns me because I'm a massive Courtney Laws fan. But he can go onto the bench and so can Curry. They can both come on and 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 kind of integrate back into things. Um, the nice thing about having them on the bench is you know what you're going to get out of them. It is against Wales. You can bring them on after 30 minutes, after 50 minutes. It's up to you. So for me, I wouldn't change the starting flankers for uh, for England. Yeah, I guess the other option for Courtney Laws is that he can play lock. So he can um, partner up with Toje. There's actually ugh, there's been some wild things from one or two of these Twitter uh, well-known Twitter accounts that sort of follow English rugby saying Itoje's like offered, he should be dropped, which is obviously crazy, but... Madness. I Yeah, I would assume... I haven't watched any be... rugby if you're saying that. <laughs> I haven't watched any sport in general, maybe. But um, yeah, you can probably play Itoje and Laws. It seems like that was Borthwick's plan before the injuries came, that he wanted Laws to be more of a lock. So I guess that's probably an option. Would be quite yeah, but, um but Chesham, bad on Chesham because Chesham played quite well. Yes. But he's a he's a decent impact player, I guess, because you know, his ball carrying ability. Yeah, it's 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 a it's interesting. Uh, Laws has been out for a while, and you see the thing is is he's coming back. Um he's also the captain. Well, was the captain before was, injury yeah. and all that. So, you know, there there there's that. But I I think I think Curry and, and Laws maybe maybe come off the bench. Um, but it's going to be harsh on a few people. Um, but I think uh, that that's my call. That's what I would I would prefer to do. But then I'm a little bit boring sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, boring is good as well. But yeah, I mean England. Yeah, I thought we. I think we all thought England and Wales would have similar. Uh, traje- trajectories from their change of coaches but yeah there's clearly one side that looks a bit more sunny side up and glass half full and 
on the other side of the thing. I mean, I don't even know if you can say Wells glass is half empty. I think it's just fully empty at the moment. It's just really bad. So this match, no. I think, has many um, consequences. Probably, yeah, if anything, Wales probably don't need a win right now because a win would almost distract from all the other big stuff that's happening. If anything, just, yeah, yeah I think I'm yeah. a big believer in just make a, a crisis as bad as possible. <laughs> well, it's the only way you're going to create change, um, mm. you know. So, but uh, I, I would love, I haven't even seen the Welsh, um, if they've uh, added Tompkins back to the squad or anything, but I, I still think that he, could be a very, very, very important part. And it's not because Hawkins has been poor. I just think Tom, Tompkins at 12 would probably be the better shot at the moment. But then again, do you want it to be better or get worse? <laughs> <laughs> then let's move to the other big match, which is Scotland, France versus Scotland and Paris. France's first match at home and first match since they lost against Ireland. Two big questions here are... One, how does France bounce back from their first loss in two years or just about two years? And for Scotland, can they actually do it and win in Paris? You, you're welcome to tackle either one of them. I'm going to tackle both. I think uh, I did mention at the time, I think the loss for France came at the best time um, for them when you're talking World Cup and, and everything. Rather, like get it out the way. It sucks losing such an awesome uh, win streak. Um, and the potential of back-to-back Six Nations Grand Slams and Six Nations titles. So they need to shake it up. They need a reset. They, I think France are one good preseason session, like a two-week camp away from just pulling things together or falling apart, because that's really where they where they are now. Like you, you're scared that they're gonna they're gonna wander off. The short answer on the question around Scotland is no. I don't think that they will be able to win in Paris. Um, the only way is if France wobble. And I think defensively, they're really, really, really good. Defensively, they are very well set up. They scramble well, and they've got some big hitters, and that's how you beat Scotland. You, you beat Scotland by stopping their attack. So it's, um, it's not about putting pressure on them or anything else. You've stopped the, stopped the Scottish attack and see where, what else is underneath that layer, like what are Scotland made of. And, uh, and this, is, this is the litmus test for them, but I don't think that they will get through. I think France win it. I don't think it's going to be a walkover, but I think France win it. Yeah, I think just to take it from the Scotland side, like I think this is a good sort of litmus test for Scotland just to see how far, how close they are to that top table of international rugby at the moment. You can argue if it's definitely Ireland and France that are at that table. You can argue if South Africa and New Zealand are in that table or almost a seat, a half seat below or whatever you want to call it. But that like first sort of like tier of the tier one nations is basically that those four countries. So if Scotland can put in a good performance and even win on Saturday, then they can basically go, okay, we're just about as, we're quite close or we're quite far. And unfortunately for Scotland, they have to face two of those countries in September in the World Cup with um, Ireland and, and, and South Africa. And obviously it's a good opportunity for Scotland to get, I think it'd be their first top half um, finish in a while, never mind, you know, a p- potential grand slam if they win on Saturday. But yeah, I think odds are against them unless 
France continue to experiment. But I think there is certain aspects of Scotland that are positive um, in facing France. So they are, they, they've actually won twice against France. They actually have the best win record against France in this, um, in this um, World Cup cycle, which is crazy. I think it's two wins wow. and two losses that they have. Yeah, so one win in 2020 Six Nations and the other in the 2021 Six Nations in Paris. So I think what they do well is they just have a very good defense that pretty much doesn't really give, or it, if it's switched on, it doesn't allow France to do all the things that they want to do. But I think France will also be aware of that and try to to just play a more sensible game and not let Scotland's defense almost create opportunities for the for the counter-attacking game that obviously we know how Scotland is good at that. So that will probably be the focus for Scotland and just trying to get in a solid defensive performance and then when they get the ball, trying to kill them. And yeah, I think Scotland is good at creating opportunities, maybe not so good at finishing because they always, yeah, it seems like almost every match there's some mishap between mostly Stuart Hogg but sometimes Russell and Harris and those sort of players that they have like a three on one or a two on one and someone drops it. So if they are able to score their opportunities and keep France out as far as possible, then there's a chance there. But I think it's interesting looking at France because I think there's a bit of experimentation. So if you watch the Squid Rugby um, video on the France Island game, it seems like France is trying to do some things with their attacking structure. They aren't really doing that whole, like almost overwhelm you with pick and goes and like short run or runners like um, by DuPont and all that sort of stuff. So maybe the France are just trying to test a few things out, you know, in preparation for September. So if France is like, okay, we can't win the grand slam. Let's maybe lean more into that. Who knows? But I think France is going to try to send a statement that, yeah, this is just a blip. We can bounce back from tough circumstances. And yeah, I think France is going mm. to be actually looking for a pretty convincing win to just shut out any noise about them looking a bit shaky. So yeah, I'd probably lean into a decent France win on Saturday. The thing is, is, is the Scots, <clears throat> this, is, this is the fire or, or the spark that lights their fire, this being not like being written off. Despite how they're playing, they're not favorites. They, they're going to Paris. It's become a very, very hard place to, to play and win. And, um, and that's, they, they, they are excellent at, at, all, at just getting rid of all that noise. You know, they, they're super, they're great at like pitching up and going, it's cool, you're favorites, but, you know, we're just going to go and have a jaw. And, um, mm. and that's the one thing that's scary about Scotland. I think that's the thing that makes everything so makes everyone so apprehensive about um about completely writing them off is because they do have that they've almost they're almost like france in disguise in that they can turn it on and play the greatest rugby you'll mm-hmm. ever see but then they can also crumble and in fairness they've minimized that that the ability to crumble and the the speed at which they crumble and how badly it crumbles so that's the thing I, everyone's very everyone wants to watch like the rest of the six nations of Scotland and then make a decision, but it's so hard Mm. to make a call on them now. And then moving to the next match, Ireland versus Italy. Yeah. I mean, I think Italy probably showed in that game against England that they still have some time, some way to go, but possibly Paolo Garbisi comes back for this weekend's game. We'll have to see. And then on the Irish side, I think there's been a lot of calls for a bit of rotation in the team. 
Um, I think they'll be disappointed again um, with Andy Farrell. I think he knows his 23 for, you know, the big games in the World Cup and in the Six Nations already. But, you know, the likes of um, Greg Casey and um, Jack Crowley and Gavin Coombs, they've all been mooted by, you know, certain members of the public in the Irish public to 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 get starts or to at least have a feature in this game. Sean, looking at it from more the island side, you, you, if there is a bit of experimentation, and I think it's, as I want to say, it's unlikely, which players or which combinations would you like to see? Well, definitely um, at 10, and Sexton will probably go to the bench. I don't see them. I don't see them not starting Sexton. Fun enough, I think they would rather start Sexton and have him play a half and then come off. Um, other than that, you, you're 100 percent right. I think their match day 23 is pretty much like it's the same as when you were talking about the Springboks for the last two years. You know who the match day 23 is, or with, with regards to the Springboks, it was just depending on whether they're going with a, a six, a six-two, or five-three. Um, Ireland's the same. They're now. Andy Farrell's now looking for players that are going to put their hand up that fit in the system. He knows who's fitting in the system and what's going on. He's now got to look for players that will be like, cool, you're, you're on, on, on the plane to France. This is, you are part of that fringe. The, if, if, if anyone learned anything out of the Springboks um, 2019 World Cup win and, and chasing the sun documentaries, how valuable a squad is and how valuable those players are to the winning of a tournament and to doing well in that tournament, even though they see 20, 30 minutes the whole the whole tournament. So now these guys, there are a f- number of players that are fighting out for a num- for a few positions. And and this is where that's going to come from. Coupled with the fact that Italy, I, I think Ireland are in with with respect, it's not an insult, are boring, are boring enough to just do away with with Italy, like the same way England did it. England, everyone hated mm. it, but England did what needed to be done to absolutely just just make Italy doubt themselves. And just all of a sudden, you look up and the scoreboard's not in your favour. So um, that's what Ireland are going to do. They're going to be so boring and monotonous because that that is that is their bread and butter, and that's how they will break down any team. And Ireland have got respect for all teams in that they're, they're not going to blink when you're playing in Italy. They're going to just carry on doing what they need to do. They'll change up a few things, but they will do, they'll go through the motions and you'll see those tries come and all of a sudden Ireland are going to be 21-5 or 21-7 or 21-0 up and there's mm. going to be 35 minutes played and you'll be like, shit, you know, Italy are scrambling. And when Italy scramble and have to chase the game, then and that's, like, that's what Ireland want. They, they want that because they, you make mistakes. You might get lucky with a try here and there, then Ireland reset, and they'll just come back and sort you out. Okay, so let's finish up this second part of the podcast with some predictions for Saturday and a very quick prediction for Super Rugby, which is starting on, on, on Friday as well. So in terms of the Six Nations games, Wales versus England? England. Okay, I'm going to go England as well. France versus Scotland? France. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with France. That's on Sunday. Then the first match on Saturday is Italy versus Ireland in Rome. Yeah, Ireland, bonus point. 
Yeah, I think it's also going to be Ireland. And then finally, um, Sean, Super Rugby starting this weekend. We'll talk about it more exciting. over the weeks. Very exciting to have some morning rugby back as well. Anyone, are you taking, so you have to answer this. Are you taking Crusaders or are you taking the field? No, I'm not taking Crusaders. Ooh, taking the field. That's interesting. Yeah. I, 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 it's going to be a Kiwi side. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think the Waratahs are going, to, are going to put their hand up. But I, I think mm. a Kiwi side will win it. And I think there are a couple of guys that will put the Crusaders under pressure. So, but as always, the Crusaders always start slow. And then they build momentum and then just steamroll everyone. So can you build up enough, uh, enough up front early and then have your confidence that when you have that one-off against the Crusaders, you beat them? Because that's really what it's all mm. about. Yeah. Uh, I'll take Crusaders uh, against the field. Really, yeah. I'll make a, very pre- uh, make a prediction for now that it's a final between Crusaders and Brumbies and then semis will be Crusaders, Blues, Waratahs and Brumbies. Wow, you better write that down. We are, you might have to do an article <laughs> on that so we can like really have it in black and white. I'll, I'll like lock it. Well, let's definitely do that. But yeah, Sean, thank you so much for joining for this part of the podcast. And yes, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Please like and subscribe and drop a five-star rating for this podcast to share it with the rugby world. We are trying to get some content out once every week, trying to work around all the load chain that's happening in South Africa. So. We'll do our best with that. And yeah, hopefully we can also climb up these um, podcast ratings as well. Thank you so much to all of our supporters and the people asking us for podcasts as well. We really appreciate it. And yes, we'll see you in the next podcast in a few days time. Bye.